Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Dear saints, we have three common enemies, sin, death, and the devil. And a lot of people dismiss the devil. Since the Enlightenment, most people imagine that the devil simply doesn't exist. They regard him as some sort of old, antiquated, or superstitious idea. And they'll say, well, I can't see the devil, so therefore, he must not be real. He must not exist. Also, nowadays, a lot of people dismiss the idea of sin. The idea of iniquity or transgression. And sin, they think, is another ancient and archaic idea. The, uh, they think uh, of the idea of sin is like an evolving concept or some social construct, something that changes with the times. And they say, well, we can't see sin or measure sin, so it must not be real. And I suppose it's true that we cannot see the devil and we cannot see sin, the substance of it. So I admit that you can fool yourself into thinking that the devil and sin don't exist. But the third thing you can't. Death is undeniable, and it is indisputable, and it is simply a fact. That means that the day is coming when your heart will stop beating, and your blood will stop flowing through your veins. It means that the day is coming that your lungs will take their final breath and your mind will think its last thought. And you'll have lived your final moment and you'll die. And everything you worked for, everything you dreamed of, everything you ever said or did, every single moment and memory in your life, every ounce of meaning, you found in it will vanish and dissipate like vapor, like a mist, like a breath, and you will be no more. And this is true not just for you, but for all of us. It is also true of your father and your mother who came before you. And it is true of your children who will come after you. Every single person you ever have ever met and seen in this life will face the same end. So like I said, you can fool yourself and get away with dismissing sin and the devil. But you cannot dismiss this third enemy, death. And so what do we do? How do we respond to this incontrovertible truth? From what I've seen, human beings have really only five ways to respond. The first way is by trying to avoid it. A lot of people do this. They avoid any talk of death. They ignore the elephant in the room. They live their life in such a way to distract themselves from reality. This is truth. This is reality. This is life and death. They try, uh, so, so this is what they do. They try to avoid it. <clears throat> they will adopt what we call a hedonistic life, 
a life full of fleeting and temporal pleasure, uh, a life of work or sports or movies or food or shopping, working out, trying to stay healthy, chasing the American dream, mindlessly scrolling through the internet and social media. People use all these things to distract themselves from the thing that is looming at their door, the impending doom that they have. So they'll numb their minds through drugs or alcohol or promiscuity and addictions. They try to deafen their ears to the cry of death. In fact, I would suggest to you that this is why so many people don't come to church on a regular basis. Because they don't want to have to think about death or hear about it. They don't want to think about their own mortality. In fact, I think this is why people prefer to go to churches that simply avoid the topic of sin and death. Or find a church that simply affirms them in their busy life, gives them another task to do, and lets it go. You know the problem with this approach, though. That sooner or later, you you can only avoid it for so long. Sooner or later, you can't. You cannot run away forever. You have to face reality. You can only avoid death for so long before you can't avoid it anymore. Now, that's the first way. The second way people respond to death is by trying to fight it, right? So they'll try to defeat it. They'll uh, try to find the fountain of youth or think that, look, if we have the right technology and the right medicine, we're going to be able to get rid of death once and for all and live forever. Uh, This is what we would call transhumanism. Uh, It's the idea of being beyond human, evolving ourselves beyond uh, what we are now in in this mortal, lowly state. The idea that we can upload our minds into the internet or to the cloud and then somehow live in that way, that capacity forever, uh, living digitally forever. Um, In recent years, we've seen people put their faith and hope in science like it's a god, like never before. Uh, Two years ago, churches across the world closed their doors for fear of death. Some are still closed. They heard of a virus and they locked the doors of the sanctuary. And people stopped coming to church for uh, well over a year. And all we heard from the news were uh, were the statistics. If you read it and you followed it, it was the mortality rate. Look at the statistics left and right. And if you really paid close attention, all of those were kind of skewed if you were willing to read it. To be honest, the mortality rate has been just about the same before the so-called pandemic as it is now. It's roughly 100%. That is the reality. Even if you're fully vaccinated or fully protected, fully isolated from one thing, death will find you with another. Do you see this? The idea that the right vaccine or medicine or technology is the be-all, end-all of our labor, that this is our pursuit, the thing, the, the, the thing we cast before us, uh, this is foolishness because the best it can ever do is simply delay the inevitable. By mere hours, if that. 
The bottom line is that putting your hope and trust in science won't defeat or solve death. Everyone who has tried it, everyone who has tried is dead. Everyone who has tried it has died. And it is blind optimism to think that you will be in the generation that figures it out or survives it. By the way, even if it were a possibility, even if it were possible to achieve eternal life through technology, all we would accomplish is to simply create hell on earth. Just a miserable, awful existence that does not end, that continues with uh, anguish. Everyone who has set out to defeat it has been defeated, and they are now dust. The third way people respond to death is by trying to accept it. And they'll say, fine, I get it. I can't avoid death. I can't defeat it. So I will just accept death to be a normal, natural part of life. And uh, song, Hollywood songs and movies are the best at this. They glamorize death. The most famous example I can think of is the circle of life from the movie The Lion King. You guys know this well. It says these beautiful, beautiful words that this circle of life keeps great and small on the endless round. What is that? That, That's talking about death. And then it says this, and that it's the circle of life and it moves us all through despair and hope, through faith and love until we find our place on the path unwinding in the circle, the circle of life. Until you find your place in the ground. Without breath, not moving. This is just about the most flowery and gloriously uh, pathetic thing that I've ever heard about death. The point is that all this death, look, think, think this through. All of all death, all massacres, all abortions, all shootings, all tragedies, all genocides, all horrifying deaths that we see all around us are a natural part of life. It's part of the great circle, the beautiful circle of life. You're alive today and you're dead tomorrow. And that is supposed to be beautiful. The culmination, if you think this through, if you accept this, The culmination of your life is to expire and become fertilizer for the grass. And that is it. It's easy to sing this, something so silly as this, at a theme park or a movie theater. But I guarantee you that no one genuinely believes this or sings this at a funeral or after a shooting or after a terrorist attack or after some tragedy when they watch their loved ones die before them. If death is so natural, then why do all people, including the heathen, cry at it? Why do we mourn the death of a loved one? Because isn't their death just a part of a circle of life that we should all just celebrate and accept? Isn't death just taking the weak from us and allowing us to progress as a people to a better place? allowing the fittest to survive, for us to evolve to a better degree. People have made futile attempts to try and accept 
and befriend death. But when it comes down to it, no one really believes it. And no one's really buying it. Excuse me. Now, the fourth way is to to, to respond to death is this. And that's realizing what death truly is. Taking it for what it is at face value. And then falling to despair. It is the haunting reality that sets in when you realize that there's nothing you can do about it. There is nothing you can do about it. It is the overwhelming feeling of hopelessness and helplessness and misery and anguish. Uh, Just two anecdotes here. In the late 1800s, there was a German philosopher by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche, who was the son of a Lutheran pastor. He he, uh, departed from the faith adopted this neo-atheist view uh, that is the view of nihilism nihil meaning zero meaning nothing the idea that the material world what is physical is all there is there is no god and because of that there is also no meaning or purpose in life that's what he believed and he believed it so deeply that it drove him to insanity and he died alone In the 1900s, there was a famous artist by the name of Jackson Pollock who created what we call, or what the world calls, modern art. And you maybe know his name, you, you may know his name, but for sure you know his works. He is the guy who would take a massive canvas and take paint and splatter it and splash it there and pour it on there. And it was just one big mess. It looked like somebody just dumped paint, well, which is exactly what they did. And the reason he did this, the reason he did this was because he began to believe in nihilism. That because of death, life has no meaning, that everything is random, and that the material world is all there is. And his art was just a way to show this mess of paint is no different than that mess of paint. And there's no meaning behind it. There's no purpose behind it. It's all a big mess. It's all random. This whole universe is random. Why we're alive is random and why we die is random. That's the point. There's no absolute beauty or good or truth. Well, he too believed this to the point of despair that after accepting this uh, in his early 40s, after he believed that life has no meaning because of death, he drank to the point of drunkenness. He got in his car and crashed it to end his life. Because despair is what happens when you truly realize what death is and you see that there's no way out. So far, I've told you four responses to death. But this fifth response, well, this is the reason we're gathered here today. This is the reason Christians from all around the world have come together on Sunday morning for over 2,000 years. And it is that one day, 2,000 years ago, a man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth was brutally beaten. He was flogged and he was whipped. He was spit upon. He was mocked and laughed at. He was nailed through his hands and his feet to a cross. 
He was crowned with a crown of thorns. He was given vinegar to drink when thirsty, and he had a spear shoved into his heart where every drop of sweat and blood poured out of his body. And he was completely emptied of life at the cross. And then his lifeless corpse was peeled down from the cross and placed into a cold and empty tomb. And three days later, the tomb was empty. And over 500 people saw him and suffered miserable deaths, but would not deny this, what they saw, would not deny reality. And his body could not be proven or found. I don't, look, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. Everything I just said in that is just the facts of Easter, of, the, of what happened this day 2,000 years ago. There's no dispute, actually, or negating those facts. Those are what we call the bare minimum facts regarding Easter. That from the most uh, liberal uh, scholars and academics to the most conservative ones, they all accept these facts. That a man died before the face of all and his tomb, which was guarded by elite Roman soldiers, was inexplicably empty three days later, just like he said. And hundreds of people saw him afterward. That's, that's, that's just the history of what happened, which is why it's recorded. Uh, it, none, of these, none of those events have to do with faith, actually, because it's simply what happened. What I'm trying to say is that we don't have to believe that Jesus died on the cross. He did. It's a fact. We don't have to believe that the tomb is empty. That is a fact. That is history. We don't have to believe that more than 500 people saw him. That's simply what happened. Faith has nothing to do with those things. But by the way, people have tried to discredit these, these things. They have been laughed out of the schools because of this. Laughed out of academia when they try to do this. They come up with theories. If you genuinely take the time to study and learn it, there are thousands of books and, and movies and podcasts and videos and sermons historical documents on this very point, archaeology, that you could see on this. <clears throat> you can't get around these bare minimum facts. So, no, the events of Good Friday and Easter have nothing to do with faith, but with history. We don't need faith for the events themselves, but we need faith for the benefit of those events and what it means for you. Your faith doesn't make Jesus' tomb empty. It was empty before you even heard of it, before you were born. It's been empty. It's been empty before you could believe it. Faith believes in the meaning of that. In the meaning of Jesus' cross and his empty tomb, that this was all for you, for your sake, for your salvation. That it's not just some point in history that we can refer back to, but that it has bearing and weight to today, to your final day. Christ did resurrect from the dead. Faith trusts and believes that Jesus, his bleeding, his suffering, his dying and his rising wasn't for himself, but it was for you. Uh, and he did resurrect from the dead, but it's of no benefit. It does not benefit you in the slightest if you don't believe that it was for you. That it was for your sake. 
And if you don't believe that his death and resurrection was for you, then you are condemned to live your life in one of those four ways. In one of those four responses. Avoiding death, trying to defeat it, accepting it, or despairing. That's all you have. That's all, those are the only options. That's it. But there's this. That Christ is risen, and when faith apprehends this, when your heart grabs a hold of it and relies upon it, then everything changes, and you have a life with more meaning and purpose than you could have ever asked for or imagined. What Jesus did is he redeemed you from a vain and pointless and meaningless life. He redeemed you from the fear of death. When he breathed the last breath of his life on the cross, that's when he breathed meaning and purpose into yours. This meaning and purpose... This meaning and purpose is so deep and so profound and so immovable that even if you fail at everything in this life, even if you accomplish nothing worthwhile in this life, in your existence, even if you have a life full of misery and anguish and pain and one that dies uh, tragically, your meaning and purpose in life won't move or change an inch. And this is because the meaning of your life does not depend upon what you accomplish in it, but upon what Christ accomplished in his for you. Your life could be a complete wreck, and yet you are still precious and holy and loved to the God who made you. The world could deem you worthless and leave you out in the cold to die. And yet the world cannot change the fact of what your Lord thinks of you or take away the fact that he has purchased you not with gold or silver, but with his holy and precious blood. Dear saints, the world avoids death and they fight against death and they try to accept death and they then despair in the face of death. But we're not of this world. Of God. And so we don't cower away from death when that moment comes because death, even though it is much more than we can handle, it is not more than what the Lord can handle. Jesus says of himself, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And that means that what Jesus did this day all those years ago proves to us that death did not succeed in taking Jesus away from us. And it proves that death will not succeed in taking us away from him. So, your dear loved ones, your father, your mother, your husband, your wife, your children, whom you sorely miss this day, Your loved ones who died while trusting in Jesus. They are not dead. They live. Just as Jesus lives. And you will see them again. And your loved ones whom you will see. Breathe their last in these coming days. They too will not die. But pass over from death to life. And yes, the day is coming for you too. 
and it is far sooner than you think. The day is coming for you when your days are full and the light of your eyes grows dim, when your lungs and your heart and your mind will fail, Jesus will not, and his victory over death will not. You go into that day, when that day comes, whatever and whenever, at whatever time it is, you go into that day with the utmost confidence and assurance, knowing that Christ has destroyed death. He has destroyed the utter meaninglessness of, and vanity of death. And has turned it to life because the tomb is empty. You can have a living and daring confidence that is so certain and sure that you can stake your life on it a thousand times over and never be disappointed and never be put to shame. You drive it deep into your heart this day. Engrave it into your heart. Because I don't know how anyone can wake up each morning and go through life without the gospel who can go through life trying one of these four attempts to try and solve it, to try and avoid it. The gospel is this, that because of what Jesus did for you, the only thing that death can do to you is drive you more quickly into the arms of your dear Father in heaven. He promised that all who close their eyes in death while trusting in him will open their eyes in paradise with him forever. No matter how sorrowful or difficult this life may be, no matter how meaningless it has been and senseless and vain it may feel, God has promised that all things will work together for good and everything will end well for you. So, dear saints, praise God this day for his great and glorious blessing, for redeeming you from a life of futility and vanity, for destroying death through his death, for taking away the sting of death by forgiving all of your sins and for giving you the only life worth living. That is the life you have in Christ. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Hear the words of this hymn. No son of man could conquer death. Such ruin sin had wrought us. No innocence was found on earth. And therefore death had brought us into bondage from of old. And ever grew more strong and bold and held us as its captive. Alleluia. Christ Jesus, God's own son, came down his people to deliver. Destroying sin, he took the crown from death's pale brow forever. Stripped of power, no more it reigns. An empty form alone remains. Its sting is lost forever. Alleluia. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.